A Canadian exchange locks the keys in the car. Anti-vaxxed kids are smarter than you might think. Samsung rules the world, of mobile browsers anyway. Germany's had enough of this Facebook quatch. And we're working from home on tonight's Iron Sysadmin Podcast, episode 55. Sysadmin Podcast, your source for IT news, commentary, and a healthy dose of paranoia. One of these days, I'm going to re-record that intro. I have such a better idea for it. (laughs) I've had that better idea for months, and I just haven't sat down to do it. (laughs) All right, folks, welcome to tonight's episode. We're a bit short on hosts. It's just me and Charles. Say hi, Charles. Hey, hey. You're supposed to say hi, Charles. <laughs> it's the old joke, right? Or am I dating myself now? Anyway. Also recording on a Tuesday, which is going to throw everybody off. No one's going to know where to find the show. No one's going to be like expecting it to come in. And all of a sudden, bam, a present in your podcasting app. Here, let me look through my excuse calendar. Uh, bad weather. That's why we're doing this on Tuesday. Bad weather. No, it's because I have another commitment that we'll talk about later on Wednesday. Assuming that the bad weather doesn't permit me prevent me from getting to that commitment. <laughs> so, I guess we'll head right on into the news. Maybe you've heard about this, Charles. I don't know. In Canada, there is a cryptocurrencies exchange called... Uh, maybe I shouldn't try to pronounce this. Quadringa CX? Yeah. And I hadn't heard of it until it made the news, which is usually a pretty bad sign for usually. a cryptocurrency exchange because that, that's not a usually that's not a part of the technological landscape I'm involved with. Yeah, so I mean, cryptocurrency has been getting hit pretty hard lately um, after Bitcoin's rise and then subsequent fall, um, and I guess there's like a billion other cryptocurrencies at this point. Um, but um, quad quadriga. Quadriga, I think that's how you pronounce it. Quadriga CX was a, or is, I should should say, a cryptocurrencies exchange. And uh, anyone who's at all familiar with how cryptocurrencies work, there's a thing called a wallet or a vault that uh, contains all of your, you know, coins, all of your bitcoins or whatever they are. And that thing has a password. And uh, exchanges are no different from that. You know, there's like a vault of some sort, just like a bank would have. That's so that, you know, not just anybody can get in there and mess around with the currencies that are involved. Uh, Well, the problem is that password, just like any other, can be lost or perhaps memorized or owned in some way by the person who runs the company or the exchange in this case. And if that person dies, which unfortunately is what has reportedly happened to Quadriga CX, uh, well, you lose the password. Without the password, you can't get into the exchange to actually make any uh, transactions. So, this whole uh, matter has really exposed how poorly managed these secrets were for Quadriga CX. And it really illustrates, uh, uh, well, the importance of risk management when it comes to the keys to the kingdom. You know, at, at the risk of editorializing a little bit here, there's a reason that the traditional financial industry is so heavily regulated because this yep. sort of thing absolutely used to happen in the 19th century. You have people starting their own banks, circulating their own currencies. And yes, and it was the same arguments. You know, it's freedom. And like, yes, it was. But then people lost their shirts um, for a variety of reasons, Sometimes, some nefarious, some not. I mean, there is all kinds of un- of speculation on the internet about the exact circumstances of this particular situation, but people die. Yes, um, unfortunately. And I guess it'd be the same deal for a bank vault if it were either physical keyed or a combination lock, and the guy who remembers the combination dies. Yeah, that's a problem. And the difference being, at least with a bank vault, if nothing else, you know, you can get a blowtorch or some such yeah. and uh, eventually force your way back in. Yep. With with physical access to a bank vault, no matter how secure they are, 
with physical access and permission, which means you have all the time in the world to get into it, you'll eventually get in. Crypto is a different case. I mean, it could take centuries <laughs> to, to crack. So, you know, you've seen RoboCop, right? I mean, they might you could accidentally burn the money. I mean, that is a possibility. You could. You could accidentally burn the money. So, yeah. Um, I, I had heard, I don't remember where at this point, another podcast I listened to had reported on this same article a um, week or so ago, which uh, I originally didn't even think of including it in the, in tonight's show because I considered it to be older news, but uh, whatever, it's still worth talking about. But apparently um, most exchanges do operate in a way where these secrets are, um, I don't want to use the word regulated, but uh, it's best practice to uh, share them w amongst a couple of trusted people so that you know, if one of the, if something were to happen to one of them, or if one of them were to leave the company, or whatever, they couldn't just walk off with all the money, or you lose access to the money because you know they're in, they're unavailable for some reason. Um, and really, this applies to more than just money and cryptocurrencies. It could be you know the password to your certificate store, or whatever, something that's a little less valuable but still very important to the place you work for. Uh, there's. Or Backups or backups, um, anything. It's like for or any your AWS any root account or who knows, yeah. you know, for any digital thing that you depend on, you have to ask yourself, um, do I, if, can I access this some other way? Uh, if there's a last pass outage, do I have a way to sign into my stuff? Yeah. Um, if I die does my significant other have a way to sign into my accounts yeah that's a perfect example yeah i don't know about you but i have a letter in a safe deposit box it's the sort of thing that i probably should have I, I think the key there is to keep that updated though knowing you and your yeah, attention the letter in the safe deposit box yeah. contains the master password to LastPass. So. yeah but that's the sort of thing you may change from time to time, which means you need to make sure that letter gets updated. Otherwise, it's useless. Yeah, then I have to write a new letter. Yeah, right, right. So, good plan. If I know you, you've got the attention to detail that you are uh, you wouldn't forget that sort of a thing. But I would. <laughs> Only takes once. I totally thought of this thing that would save you in the event of a, of a disaster, and then I forgot to keep it up to date. I'm sorry. So, moving on to the next article, I think that this is a great article. It's from the Washington Post, which I know some people hate or love. Uh, but anyway. Um, good sports section. Good sports section, okay. Um, so, you may recall, in our lifetimes, uh, there has been this movement of anti-vaccination parents, where uh, they've decided, whether it's based on fact or not, that vaccinations are causing other problems within your children. I'm not going to get into a debate onto which side or the other of that I fall on. I'll say that my children are vaccinated because medical science has cured certain diseases. And I think that's a good thing. Um, anyway, the Washington Post reports that there are a number of young people who fall into that generation of parents, right? They're, they're not parents. Their parents were in that generation of anti-vaxxers, as we call them, uh, who were not vaccinated as children and have come to realize how, danger, how much danger that puts them in to completely preventable diseases. And they're doing their own research. And this particular article is about uh, a young man who had turned 18 and has gone off to his own doctor to get himself vaccinated because he's decided that his parents are crazy. And uh, <laughs> not having him vaccinated has put him at risk. This gives me faith. <laughs> it gives me faith in the yeah. younger generation. Yeah. I... Herd immunity is a thing. Yes. Um, it, it's absolutely ridiculous that there's a measles outbreak in the state of Washington right now. Right. I mean, this is an incredibly contagious and dangerous disease. We had it beat. We've had it beat for generations. People worked hard to do it. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Um, it's good to see kids taking this in hand, but they shouldn't have to. I mean, this no, is you're right. Now, I, I can 
I can almost see the other side of the argument, okay? So as a parent with two kids, we've had to put our kids through a lot of shots and, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, series of shots for various immunizations. And you do wonder what it is you're putting into your kid. You just you just have to trust the doctor that they're not going to hurt your kid, right? That this That this vaccination is, in fact, helping them. Um, history shows that yes, it's helping them, and we haven't mm-hmm. we haven't had our concerns over these things um, stop us from getting our kids vaccinated. Um, on top of that, we have uh, one of our kids suffers from a attention problem, and she's had to take pills to help with help with her focus in school, and that was mm-hmm. another really difficult decision. You know, do you want to really drug your kids up? It's really what it comes down to. So right, I, because at that point, it's not just a physical alteration, but, you know, it's the actual mental yeah. state biochemistry that's being altered. Yeah, that's frightening. And it's it's a really tough choice. It's a really tough choice. And not to mention expensive. I mean, you basically have, in the case of vaccinations, you have government-mandated expense is what this comes down to, right, for parents. Mm-hmm. And um, you do lose a certain amount of choice. Yes, you have a choice, but... Uh, it feels like you don't because your your doctors really really push for it, understandably because they want to they don't want to see the measles come back right, so it is a really complex argument. However, like I said, I do fall on the side of people should be vaccinated against preventable diseases. Um, this idea that vaccinations or something that's in the suspension in a vaccination or something that's in the fluid of a vaccination is somehow causing other crazier diseases. I mean, I'm sorry. There's no evidence for it. Exactly. There's an awful lot of baked evidence for it, which I'll tell you something. Right. Now, there are cases where there are people that are allergic to some of the things that are in vaccinations or flu shots Mm -hmm. or whatever. And because of that, they can't get these shots. But they depend on the rest of us, which is herd immunity, herd immunity, like you had had mentioned. If nobody around you can get measles, you're probably not going to get measles either, even if you haven't been vaccinated. Yeah, and I think the I think the rate is something like so if ninety percent of the population has the vaccine, you get to that level where right. you have that level of protection. So yeah, I think it's I think it's great that some kids have come around. I mean, if if your kid's going to rebel against your beliefs, um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're doing it in a way that is well informed via information they have found readily on the internet scientific information that could even be called facts. (laughs) So, yeah, I like this article. I had to talk about it. Jason would have loved it, but unfortunately he couldn't make the show tonight. Lame. Lame indeed. All right, so we're going to move on to Wired. This is an article you had included. It has to be because it includes German. Not my doing. Um, I will will not. I will not go find the German version and read that instead. I think that uh, that would be great. I think no. I think it'd be great if you found the German version and then live translated it to us. Oh, I can read German. I can't translate it. Oh, okay. I mean, as I can pronounce it, translating to certainly take a lot longer. Anyway, the article's (laughs) long, but the um, don't really need to belabor it. Um, Germany's competition regulator uh the bundeskartellamt which uh federal cartel office um i suppose the ftc would be the closest thing in this country has decided that facebook amounts to a monopoly and they're going to treat it like one good um within germany so the suppose the upshot is um, that they, Facebook in Germany won't be allowed to force users to agree to uh, the collection and assigning of non-Facebook data to their Facebook user accounts. And that's basically Facebook's business model. So the collection of data outside of Facebook is what yeah. they're, they're calling no-no. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. That's good. I mean, that's that's. You have a, to agree to it to use Facebook. Yeah. And Germany's position is Facebook is monopoly. This is coercion. Um, people don't really have a choice. Indeed, indeed. So I mean, sure, you could use some other social network, 
but then none of your friends will be there. So it, it is. Well, a- and Facebook argued that and Facebook pointed to like YouTube and Google, Twitter and um, Germany's like, no, they're not even close to the same thing. Get out of here with that. Right. I mean, it. From my perspective, I can see it as an argument, but there is no other thing that is quite like Facebook. You know, Twitter, it's got the same basic concept, but yeah, it's it doesn't have the the advertising mechanisms built in. It doesn't have the business mechanisms built in. It's not like the whole community like Facebook is. Facebook is really an online community, sort of like the olden days of it's like an enormous bulletin board system if you can think of back to the bulletin board days when a little before my time really man you're younger than i thought <laughs> <laughs> or i'm older than i thought anyway um a bbs uh, the old dial-up style bbs's were like walled gardens you know you would dial into a system there were people there that you know you knew or didn't know but they they weren't it wasn't a vast network of people. It was, you know, a small subset of people. And there were other bull- other other bulletin boards that were, you know, other communities of people. Well, Facebook is that on steroids. And there's no other board. It's all one big board, essentially, is what it comes down to. What an enormous place. Do you call that a monopoly? I mean, I don't know. There's other social networks out there, certainly. Or you can opt to not use one at all. But we're getting closer and closer to the point where if you don't have a Facebook account... You're missing out on things. Yeah, and it's certainly it's acting like monopoly in a lot of ways. It's interesting because traditionally monopoly regulation, antitrust regulation hasn't really considered user data and privacy in assessing monopolistic practices. This may be the first time that's happened. Um, yeah. Now, whether you'd see like anything like this in the States, U.S. antitrust law has gone in a slightly different direction. It used to be we looked at monopolies as ipso facto bad. And if things got big, you know, there would be a push to disaggregate. Um, That changed um, because I think it was like when Bell Telephone got broken up. People said, you know, that actually kind of maybe did more harm than good. But you get something like Facebook, you could see the wheel come around again. Yeah, I think the the thing that always differentiated it to me was Bell Telephone, or Ma Bell as they were calling it, from what I remember from the history books, um, was almost a requirement. If you wanted to communicate across the country, you needed a telephone, mm-hmm. right? And you had one yeah. provider, and that provider could basically do whatever they wanted, and you were stuck with them because there wasn't another provider, right? Yeah. Facebook, on the other hand, is still a choice. You can get online without Facebook. You can operate online without Facebook. You can talk to people Mm -hmm. without Facebook. It's just less convenient, right? Yeah. And um, what I I meant before was, you know, about how it's getting to be that it's not a choice is there are a lot of sites that integrate with Facebook for, say, authentication and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, like a contest, for example. Oh, yeah, just uh, authenticate with your Facebook account because they don't want to have to deal with their own authentication mechanisms. And I can understand that, you know, unification like that is is sometimes easier. You can hand off the identity problem to somebody else. Uh, but the problem is if you're only depending on one provider, that provider now, you know, oh, you don't have a Facebook account? You can't join or you can't do this or you can't log into my site or you can't join this contest. Um, and a lot of times when you see a site like that, they also tend to offer Google. Yes, yes. Which is nice. I prefer to do it that way, just yeah. to keep that in one place. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been using my Google authentication for uh, lots of places that will allow me to, uh, instead of logging in with you know a, a designated username and a password. Because at that point, they're not even exchanging a password. It's a token, right, between Google's authentication mechanisms and the site. Um, and I don't have to remember another login. I just, oh, if I see there's a button that says login with Google, I probably used that when I did this last time. I click on it. If it works, great. If not, I have to remember what my name and password was. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's it's getting to be that not having a Facebook account 
will give you more trouble and more trouble and more trouble online. I know some people that still live without them. So, it is still possible. But, um, yeah, I don't know if... Well, whatever. Apparently Germany thinks they're a uh, a monopoly, and that's good enough for this article. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see where things go next. Europe is certainly speaking out a leadership position on uh, data privacy. Yeah, I do wonder what will happen if this does actually come to pass, right? So will Facebook simply change their ways? Will they change their ways if you're coming from a German German IP address? You know, will they have a different Facebook in Germany? Will Facebook just say, whatever, we're not going to be in Germany anymore because they won't play ball, you know? And and what repercussions would that have? You Mm -hmm. know, with the German citizens uprise, ah, we need our Facebook. Of course, the counter the argument might be if there were significant repercussions that would prove Germany's point about um, Facebook's monopoly power. Oh, right, right. I noticed that the uh, article has a little ticker on the side for social shares, and it's been shared 12,000 times on Facebook. Mm. Which seems low, considering it's the Washington Post. Or no, this is wired. Sorry, I'm thinking of the last article. Okay, and our last article for the day comes from Android Police, and I ran across this literally just before we started recording. It's a short uh, a short article. It basically says that Samsung's Android web browser hits 1 billion downloads, which is more than Firefox and Opera combined. I don't know why Opera is even... Is that even a thing anymore? What is that like? <laughs> Does anyone still use Opera? I think so. I didn't think that was still around. Anyway, um, it's more than Firefox, which bothers me. I guess it. I guess that means it's not more than Chrome. Do they list Chrome in the article? I didn't read. I don't see them mention Chrome. Just Firefox and Opera. Anyway, uh, the reason that I included this is because I feel like it is... It's... It's it comes from the fact that Samsung prepackages this browser and there's lots of users who don't think about it and they just use it. Where most so most Android devices will come out of the box with Chrome on them. Uh if you have a Samsung Android device, they prepackage it with all of their, you know, Samsung y stuff. It gets you into Samsung's uh ecosystem so that you get tied into it in the same way that Google and uh Apple mm-hmm. tie you into theirs. I remember that from my uh gal. Yeah. Um, and this is, it's just one way for a manufacturer, a hardware manufacturer, to get their software in front of people in a way that is almost forced. And, uh, I don't know, I just see that as a problem. It's not that these people don't have a choice, people that are running Samsung devices, uh, but it is the thing that is crammed down their throat from the moment they open up their, uh, uh, their device. And, I don't know. I would much rather see Firefox have a little more of that share because they seem to put user privacy and user rights at the forefront where, I don't know about Samsung, but I'm pretty sure Google does not. Don't you feel like we had this exact discussion 20 years ago? Yeah. Isn't there something really familiar about all this? Yes, really, really familiar. Listen, Internet Explorer is is a description of a thing that you do, not a software package. You remember that argument? I do remember that argument. <laughs> you know what's basically dead at this point? Internet Explorer. Edge. Oh, Edge, right, yeah. which is what... Well, they're dropping their own engine. It's going to shove in, um, what you call it? The, I heard um, that. The uh, Chrome engine, which yeah, I heard, I'm totally blanking on. I heard that. At that point, you got to wonder why. Like, why? I guess they have to package a browser, right? Like, what computer could come out of the box without a browser? Honestly, almost wonder if it might create even more legal quantities if Microsoft's... Start, like, what are they going to do? Are they ship somebody else's browser by default? Almost, right. Do you, do you want to be Firefox or Chrome in that position? Right, exactly. That's what I mean. They almost have to have their own browser. There has to be a browser on the machine when you install it because people expect it. But you can't package Firefox or Chrome because then... 
it shows like favoritism, right? Oh, Microsoft endorses mm -hmm. Chrome. I'm going to use Chrome, and it might kill off Firefox, or Firefox will might might think it's going to kill them off or something. Yeah, it's almost like a whole other. It's like the uh, it's the, it's the opposite end of the argument now. It used to be, you know, packaging it was forceful, and no, we can't do that. Well, now if you don't package it, you're gonna, well, gonna be a whole other box of razors. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting. So if you're a Samsung user, mm -hmm. think about what browser you're using. Try Firefox. Although, I have to say, Firefox on Android, I never really liked. No, I, I put Chrome on and I haven't really looked back. Yeah, I've generally, I'm generally a Firefox user. I like Firefox, like for the reasons I just mentioned. Um, but on my Android devices, it just was never fluid. I would always use Chrome. Ironically, on my Apple device that I have now, I use Firefox. I don't know what I have against Safari, but it's there. <laughs> Safari's like the, the one in the corner. All right, so that ends the news. Time for a transition. We've got more announcements today than I think we ever have in the past. Got a couple. I can take mine out. No, no, it's fine. I don't care. It's good. Leave it I'll, in there. I'll take it out. Leave it we in got... there. Ah, oh, now it's gone. Now we have one less announcement. All right. So let me look in the Slack here quick and see. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to verify. Uh, in our Slack workspace which if you're not a member of, you should join in. We've got a number of listeners who uh, hang out there and chat from time to time. And you can give us feedback on the show from there and whatnot. Uh, John the Nice Guy, who is, if I remember correctly, also one of the hosts of the Admin Admin Podcast. He, uh, he asked us if we, if we would announce the Global Diversity CFP Day. Which, let me just open up the page here. So the way I understand it, this is a, let's see, are you a member of an un underrepresented or marginalized group? Have you always wanted to become a tech conference speaker? Let 2019 be the year that you make that dream a reality. So uh, on, on Saturday, the 2nd of March, 2019, uh, they're having basically a training workshop to teach folks how to... Uh, submit a call for papers uh, submission to uh, to tech conferences. And it's pretty cool, I think. I mean, I, I would love to have this training myself, to be honest, because um, it is a thing that the first time you do it, you really don't know where to start. Um, it's basically like, do I present an outline, or do I like ramble, uh, ramble on aimlessly about what I want to talk about, or, you know, how do I do this thing? Um and it is intimidating, and I can understand how somebody that also feels like they're in some sort of a minority group uh, might have that stress on top of, you know, submitting a, a paper. So, um, oh, absolutely. so yeah, check it out. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. It's I don't know if I'm going to try to give you guys this this URL. It's globaldiversitycfpday.com. There you go. That's easy enough. It's hard to read, but easy to say. So there you go. Check it out. It looks like they have many locations that they're running this workshop. So that's cool. Okay, the next announcement is Whopper Summit. Spelled like you'd expect, W-O-P-R. Uh, this is another hacker conference. Um, I've got the page for that open here as well. It's happening in Atlantic City, New Jersey on March 2nd and 3rd, 2019. Isn't that the same date as the CFP day? What do you know? That's weird. Um... There's a there's a couple folks in the DefCon 610 um, meetup that had asked us uh, if we were going to come to this thing, and we decided to announce it on the show. So anybody who's looking for a fun little hackery conference, and this is like, let's see, uh, Whopper Summit is an immersive hacking conference focused on hardware, software, and wireless technology. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, registration's open um, February 10th, which is two days ago at this point. Registration increased to 75 bucks a person. 
Uh, it goes up to 100 bucks by the time the thing starts. So if you uh, if you were to register at the door, buy a ticket at the door, it's going to cost you 100 bucks. You can save a couple bucks if you register early between now and March 1st. So yeah, check that out, whoppersummit.org. Okay, what's next? Oh, this one is uh, last time we had a show, I mentioned that a coworker of mine was starting an AWS meetup. I have a link in the show notes to the event on meetup.com. Uh, that's happening tomorrow night, which is the other engagement that I have. Why we couldn't do the show tomorrow. Uh, it'll be held, I think he's holding it at Two Rivers Brewing here in Easton, the same as the... Uh, um, let me make sure of that. The same as the uh, the DEFCON 610 meetup. Where's the location? Anyway, you can uh, click the link. Yep, there it is. Right. Two Rivers Brewing. I, I was pretty sure that's where it was. I just wanted to be certain. Uh, yeah, so it's at Two Rivers Brewing, which is the same place as the, as the DEF CON meetup that we've talked to you guys about in the past. Uh, it's a great venue, and uh, this is the first meetup, so that's why I want to get there, make sure that uh, I can help get this thing off the ground for him, if, uh, even if I'm just there to drink a beer and help, uh, help support his, uh, his favor at uh, Two Rivers. <laughs> And the only other announcement I've got is that I have finally switched the show over to being hosted on Libsyn, which should save us a couple bucks a month and hopefully make the publishing and, and statistics a little easier for us uh, to manage here on the show. It doesn't affect you guys much. However, if, you've, if you seem to be having problems downloading episodes, please let me know because there was a migration that had to happen to move all of our episodes from the previous hosting, which was a combination of an AWS S3 bucket and uh, my own hosting on DigitalOcean. Um, so the website is still hosted by me on WordPress like it always has, but the actual episodes are now hosted on Libsyn. So the RSS feed and whatnot come from there. And I think that's all Speaking the announcements. What's that? Speaking of WordPress, I will plug after all that uh, the uh, Lancaster WordCamp is coming up in April. Um it's a good group. You know, if you're interested in getting to know WordPress better, whether, to, you know, if you're a developer, an administrator or whatnot, WordPress community, it's very open, very easy to get to know folks. And Lancaster, it's just down the road from Philly. It's always a great event. Cool. It'll be April 27th. We'll have the link in the show notes. Cool, cool. All right. Oh, good. It's working now. Sorry. Give me just one moment. I'm going to get back into... Apple's uh, iTunes back end, so I can see if we have any reviews. I tried to do this before the show, and it was not working. It was in this weird redirect loop. Here we go. You and iTunes Store. Let's see if we have any new reviews. Uh, nope. Same one. No new reviews. Guys, leave us a review. And girls, women, whatever. Anyone listening, leave us a review. Because that'd be awesome. We like reviews. We like to hear feedback. Uh, I think that's all for the announcements, except that any of you who are longtime listeners of the show may remember that I used to have this enormous Pilsner glass, which I would drink while we were on the show, and it broke one day. Well, I have finally replaced it with an enormous mug that holds two beers. So that's a momentous day. That's all. <laughs> Uh, the only update I have in the reviews part here is that we are up to 120 subscribers on YouTube. So, uh, again, the YouTube is really only used for us to do the live show. And anyone who likes to watch us uh, talk about things instead of listen to us talk about things, which some people do, um, you know, it's there for you. And I think that's it. Charles, you have anything fun going on? You still working on your trains? Absolutely. Um, I just came up from the uh, basement. I've more or less finished the little layout I was working on, and I'm building a uh, drawing up plans for a much larger one. Starting to really starting to get close to being able to learning so much about wiring direct current. <laughs> Look on the bright side. DC is a lot easier than AC. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as it's funny. We were having a conversation at work just the other day, you and I, about how this is how I learned DC circuits as a kid. 
me and my dad would set up a train display for Christmas every year, and uh, eventually it became my job to set the thing up. Just, you know, sort of a passing of the reins kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I had to learn how DC circuits worked, and, you know, just so I could get the, the trains all wired up. And I didn't do anything nearly as complicated as what you've described. Uh, we, we essentially had individual circuits for each track, into individual transformers, you know, to for the speed speed dials and whatnot. Uh, sounds like what you're doing is a little more complicated than that with these. Yeah, because it's two transformers, but ultimately what really amounts to, well, one layout divided into like 11 or 12 electrical districts. Yeah. With one reversing loop. Wow, that does sound more complicated. Yeah. But cool. Cool nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's a fun pastime. Mine. One of these days, I'm I'm gonna find some room in this house that is too cluttered, and uh, set the set the train display up for my kids again. I think it's always a good time. We set it up for mm-hmm. my daughter once when she was like three, um, when we still had an extra room because we only had one kid, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she enjoyed it. She enjoyed it. I have a video of my dog going crazy watching this little trolley that we have race around the track. Dog didn't like that very much. But anyway, um, I, on the other hand, was in my basement for an entirely different reason today, and that's because um, my other hobby, which is the Jeep, has uh, betrayed me, and the transmission has died in my Jeep, which is not fun. Not fun at all. So I've been working on pulling the drivetrain out of my Jeep so that I can replace the transmission. Some people are going to say, why don't you pay a mechanic to do that? It's because I'm a cheap bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Simple as that. No, it's because I know how to do this stuff, and I figure if I can save myself probably a grand or two in labor, uh, I may as well do it, right? It's all going to cost me that much in uh, transmission. So, yeah. If anybody has a rich uncle that wants to send me a bunch of money, I'd be happy. (laughs) And I think that's it for the chat. Anything else cool? No? Eh. Eh. I realize that our main topic is totally not fleshed out. We're going to have to wing it. I guess we'll just jump right on into that then, huh? I think we can handle that. I think we can handle that. Here we go. So as I was grasping for ideas for a topic for tonight's show, <clears throat> uh, it occurred to me that I don't think we've ever ever talked about this particular topic, even though it's really relevant to IT jobs in general. Uh, and it's relevant to me at the moment because of the aforementioned Jeep problems. Um, I don't have a vehicle to drive reliably. Uh, me and my wife are sharing a car, and working 40 miles away from home means that when I drive her car to work, she has no vehicle. So, um, graciously, our employer has uh, allowed me to use more work-from-home time uh, to compensate for the lack of a vehicle, which is pretty cool. And uh, I figured that's actually a decent topic for tonight, right? So, work-from-home sounds awesome, right? You think about it, oh, I get to work in my pajamas, right? So um, I just thought maybe we'd chat a little bit about, like, I've been doing work from home on select days per week for about uh, probably a year and a half now. I know there's a lot of IT jobs that are 100% work from home. You may never see an office. Your actual employer may be continents away from you. And then there's other jobs that are absolutely, you cannot work from home. You must be in the office. So I thought we'd just chat a bit. Uh, Charles, I know you do some work from home, even though you're relatively close to the office. I just thought we'd get some perspective, get some tips on maybe how to be productive while working remote when you have a lot of distractions in your home, or uh, just basically how you get yourself into the work mode when you really could be sitting in your underwear doing your job. (laughs) Yeah, well, one, um, yeah, so I've been working from home one day a week for, um, as a regular thing, for this is probably been five or six months at this point. Um, and I started by actually working 
from home. You know, I set up a space and went about it that way. But there were a couple of things, there were a couple of challenges. Um, and lots of distractions, of course, like one being the cat who just would always, there's there really, there's no way for me to wall myself off from the cat. And she was just getting up in my business all the time. And I love my cat, but it was actually kind of becoming a problem. Um, and I actually started using my work from home day to actually leave home and go to coffee shops. <laughs> so, so you're just working, work, from, working from on my work shops. from home day. I will float between a couple of coffee shops, um, in, you know, where I live. Uh, sometimes I actually won't be that far from the office, but I won't be in the office and yeah, the context is completely different. There's a coffee shop within, within like spitting distance of our office. I, I can just imagine you sitting there <laughs> working away, looking at our building. <laughs> well, there's a couple of places I like to go. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, you know, I I also like the flexibility of a work from home day. If I need to schedule doctor's appointments or, you know, just somebody have to have a somebody come in to do a thing. Mm-hmm. I like I like having the flexibility of just being able to say, okay, this is my work from home day, so I can feel free to schedule stuff into this day. I mean, I'm still getting the work done, but I don't have to go physically be in the office. Yeah, so that's course, we're a one we're a one car family. Liz needs the car. Yeah, so I'm on foot. Yeah, so that's that's actually um, a good point to uh, to cover, and that is how do you properly manage time when you're remote like that, uh, in such a way that things like oh well the cable guy has to come today or the furnace needs to be worked on today, or you know how does that not turn into um, you're getting like three hours of work done in a day and the rest of your day is spent at, you know, I had to go to the doctor and then I had to take the car to the shop and then I had to get the plumbing fixed. Um, and I think the answer yeah. to that is simply that you need to be aware that your employer has been kind enough to let you work remotely, at least in our case. And um, if they realize you're not getting a lot of work done when you're remote, they could easily take that privilege away. Yeah, and I think the key is our employer trusts us to get the work done. <clears throat> Indeed. Or even before we had a formal work from home policy, you know, if you were sick, you would, you know, they're like, okay, yeah, you're sick, you know, stay home. Please don't come into the office. And there was no real concern about, you know, we, we were trusted to not abuse that privilege. Right. Yeah, we don't really and have much of a concept of sick time. There is personal time, but... Um. Yeah, good at, example. At a past employer, we had sick time, and it created a very perverse incentive because you only had so much of it, and it got bought back from you at the end of the year if you didn't use it. Oh, see, so as it was, you had a, you had a whole bunch of engineers coming into the office with varying degrees of cold, flu, God only knows what, and the office turned into a plague ward because they didn't want to lose that sick time that they could but they could get bought back at the end of the year. See. In my experience, it was the opposite, right? In both places I worked before I came to the college, um, you got paid sick time that you would lose at the end of the year if you didn't use it. So I think we got like three days a year, mm -hmm. which is not a lot for a whole year. No, it isn't. Um, no. At least the, the place I'm thinking of. Um, and at the end of the year, if you didn't use that sick time, it would just go away. Because you weren't expected to use sick time. You were expected to be at work whenever you were able to get to work, but you could use sick time if you couldn't make it in, right? So, um, yeah, it made a whole different incentive. That was people were treating sick time like vacation days, and they would be sure to use them before the end of the year because you couldn't sell them back, but you could sell back vacation days. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a whole different uh, different ball of wax. Um but yeah, the um, the I guess the point would be you're expected to get work done, and if your employer notices that you're not getting it done, uh, they may have a talk with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting to have that mix of you know being in the office and not being in the office. So you still have FaceTime with people, and uh, you know if 
if you are slipping or slacking a little bit, I think it's easier to have that conversation. Right. Be like, hey. Right. So another good point, and this was uh, information or advice that I had gotten from uh, someone that I know who, well, you know him as well. He shares your last name, uh, who left mm-hmm. um, Lafayette, who left the college and went on to a 100% remote position. Um, I had chatted with him a little while after he'd left and I'd asked him, you know, how how's working from home going? You know, because it sounds like a dream. And he shared all these nightmares about how, you know, he had to like basically train his family to not bother him while he was working because he's working, right? And he also had a couple of tricks. I think it was him that told me this. Had a couple of tricks to sort of get himself into work mode, right? And um, he said it was important that every morning he still had a routine just as though he were going into the office. And that's like get up get a shower, get dressed into something appropriate that you would wear to the office. Uh, maybe it's a little more lax than if you were actually going to the office, but, you know, don't be in your PJs and, you know, put on your shoes and go to your office, your home office, in the same way that you might go to a, an actual office. And uh, I've used that myself, and it does help. I feel like it helps. I don't know if you have the same. It I does. Mean, you're obviously not staying I in the home that. at it this point. Fun. Sorry, I talked right, over you. Right, but even when... Um, but even when- even when I am uh, staying at home or uh, yeah. And back before I started doing this whole, you know, going out about thing. Yeah. I did that same thing, same routine, got up at the same time. Just it was no different than if I was going into the office, just like I had to be in the, get into the right headspace. I was yeah. like, this is a work day. I'm doing work. Yeah. So with, with the commute that I don't have to do on work from home days, I can wake up a little later. But I still get up, get a shower, eat breakfast. You know, I'm not like bringing breakfast to my desk and eating it here because on a normal day, I eat downstairs in the dining room with the, you know, right next to the kitchen with have my oatmeal or whatever the heck it is that I'm eating. And then, you know, once that's done, put away the dishes, head up to the office. Same way, you know, I just substitute getting into the car and driving with walking up to the, the office. Um and I think that's important. I think it's worked out well. There have been a handful of days where that's not the way it's gone because I just didn't want to get out of bed or whatever. And it's nice to be able to do that. Um, thankfully, my work from home days are Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it starts to feel like an extension of the weekend. Uh, but it, that, in some ways, makes it even harder to keep your head in the right space. You can't slack off because it's Friday any more than you might slack off if you were in the office on a Friday. <laughs> In a lot of ways, you might say that the boss is watching even closer, and I don't know if that, that that's the case, but in some cases it could be that remote workers are watched even more closely than office workers because you're not people can't physically see you, um, so the amount of work they're getting done might be more closely monitored. So that's worth thinking about if you're switching from an office job to a remote job. Yeah, I have um, I know people who are in higher ed who work for different work for different schools where the flexibility on the, on the part of the employer to allow remote work actually became actually became an issue kind of a deal breaker for continuing to work for certain institutions because you know it's higher ed people's people are in weird situations like maybe you're married to somebody who's teaching one institution you're working somewhere else and so you say hey i've got a couple hour commute how about how's about you let me work from home one day or two out of the week just so that I'm not spending hours and hours in a car. Yeah, that's really how it worked out for me. Uh, When they offered remote, even one day a week as we're doing it, it's a considerable savings for me, not just in fuel, but in time. That's two hours a day I'm not in the car, Mm -hmm. you know? So I can either sleep a little later or I can spend a little little more time with the family after the the day's over, you know? And uh, in a lot of ways, I'm even more productive because of it. Now, yeah. It used to be when I commuted, uh, Jason and I would commute, as, as you know, but the listeners might not. Um, we used to still get stuff done while we were commuting because we yeah. worked so closely with each other that if we were working on some sort of a weird problem, we would be talking it through the whole drive to and from work because it's just the way we were. Now that I'm doing it alone, um, 
yeah, I get to mull things over in my head, and sometimes I get ideas and whatnot that that help. Um, but I can't, I can't work and drive, if you know. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, and I, uh, you know, you bring that up. You know, that opportunity to kick ideas around. I'm thinking, you know, if I had the opportunity to work remotely more often, I'd probably turn it down. Just because if I did that, I would be losing a lot of that incidental, um, what you call it, uh, you know, you're just sitting around with people chatting and you have an idea. I believe they or, call you know, that. like a couple of people go grab lunch and then we, I believe they, they come up they, with. Um, they call that water cooler discussions. Yeah, but that is you know, the generalized the industry term for such a thing. <laughs> that is, you go to sure. the water cooler and you have a chat with one of your coworkers, and it turns into a good idea. Yeah, and you know, I suppose in theory, I, I think people who remote work all the time have figured out how to have those moments electronically, like when you were not, when you were never physically near the people you work with, or maybe they're just other people. You know, you're in a coffee shop and there are other people you hang out with that you can bounce ideas off of. But uh, I don't have that yet, so I still need that physical presence. Yeah, I've heard of some um, some companies that have so embraced the remote culture that they don't want you to individually interact with each other while you're in the office. They want everything to happen over an electronic medium because it makes it more inclusive for the folks mm. who are remote. Because, yes, you have a disconnect. If I were 100% remote and I never saw the office and I never interacted with you guys at the office, um, I think that would actually be a detriment. You know, having a couple days in the office is important because you get FaceTime with people and you get to have conversations with people that are just sort of off the cuff. Um you know, chats about, hey, I was thinking about this thing that might affect your web servers. What do you think about it? And then you can just immediately fire back. And it's not like I had to type it into Slack or have a set up a phone call with you or, or whatever to, to chat with, you know, with you about this idea that I had. So, yeah, that stuff is valuable. I don't know how to deal with that if you are 100% remote, though. I guess you just spend more time yeah. in video conferencing. I don't know. I mean, communication will happen. Like, if I wasn't chatting with you around the water cooler, I'd probably just chat with you more in some other medium. You know? Yeah, you know, it's, you, there's so much nuance in physical, just in physical presence, body language. Yeah. You know, there's, there's always talk about what the future of the physical conference is. You know, we have good... You know, video conferencing tools. Why don't we do these things online? You know, mm -hmm. I've done online conferences. Yep. It's not the same thing. It's not the same experience. It's fine for some things. The thing, the thing that online conferencing or conferences lack, that is the thing that I find of most value from conferences that I've been to, are the hallway chats, LobbyCon. Yes. You know, if it weren't mm -hmm. for LobbyCon there would be so much less innovation coming out of conferences. The number of, like, napkin chats, <laughs> back-of-the-napkin chats I've had with people that have turned into interesting concepts or just things that I've learned from, you know, more than any talk could have taught me. Um, I would miss that, I think, if, if conferences were all of a sudden mostly done online. Unless they find some way to capture that as well. Yeah, I'm curious to see because the online conferences I've been to, for that matter, the remote working I've done has been successful in both cases. They involve people, even if I'm interacting with them remotely, I have met them before. Um, yeah. Physically. <clears throat> so what I'm wondering is what it would look like, you know, what we if you get to a point where there are online conferences where the participants have never met each other beforehand yeah. as those there's a real lack of those um direct connections now I'm i have how if they work well i have seen webinars and whatnot that incorporate a live chat 
Yeah. And that facilitates some of that. Because participants will be chatting with each other. We even see it in the chat during this show some nights, you know, where mm-hmm. we're busy doing a show and there's people chatting back and forth in the chat on YouTube. And they're answering each other's questions. You know, they're talking to each other and not necessarily just talking to us. Um, but I've seen that in webinars, too, where there's there's not just question and answer going on, but there's actually banter going on between people um, that are attending the, the webinar. And that's kind of the same thing. Kind of. So, yeah, it's not quite the same, but it is could be the same. I don't know. Maybe if we were all used to that as a replacement for LobbyCon, that would do it. I don't know. All right. So I guess the only other thing I thought we might chat about is interruptions. Um, like you with your cat and me with uh, just the fact that I have a family of three other people here. <laughs> Um, how do you deal with that and where's the line, right? Like you, I had that conversation with my wife. Um, uh, detective, I'm basically, you know, it it sounded harsh, but it's like, I'm working from home. I'm in the office. Uh, we, no, don't ignore me, but no, (laughs) We can't be like constantly carrying on a conversation like it's like I'm home from work. You know, I've, I've yeah. got to focus and do stuff. Feel free to come by and chat, but I can't spend my whole day doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then then her job situation changed and then I started leaving the house. That's not really an issue anymore. That's the nice thing about parking and coffee shops is nobody talks to you. <laughs> You're in public, but still antisocial. It's like you are in, you are in public, and yet at the same time, it's it's never been more private. Yeah, particularly if you put earbuds in. Oh yeah, right. Nobody will bother you if you got earbuds in. They expect that you can't hear them. <laughs> so for me, it's it's always it's always kind of a challenge, right? So my kids get it when I'm at my desk up here in the attic office, I'm working. But that doesn't stop them from coming up and asking me for things. And um, one side of me doesn't want to be cruel to the children, right? Because they're just looking for time with daddy. The other side of me has to make sure that I'm getting my job done. Otherwise, the negative effects that we outlined earlier will will come down on me. And uh, that that is a tough thing. Um, To an adult like my wife, it's really easy to say, you know, I'm I'm happy to talk with you, but right now I'm working. You know, and she understands that because she's an adult and she doesn't just feel rejected like a child might. Uh, so it is a tough thing. And I, I think part of it is that uh, my wife understands I'm working. So she conveys that to the children before they even try to come up here and ask me for something. I mean, there are days where it's, you know, wife has to go run an errand or something and she's gone for an hour or two and I'm, I'm left to make sure the kids don't burn the house down. But even that, with my kids getting older, it's not as big of a deal. They'll sit down and play a video game or, you know, watch, some, watch a video on YouTube Kids or something. Um, but uh, even that, like, your spouse has to understand that you're not a built-in babysitter because you're working remote. Because you can't give the kids your full attention. If your kids are older, that's a little different. Or if your kids are at school most of the day, that's different. So, because that is a thing that I do. Um, On work from home days, I'll take the kids to the bus stop. Because it's a thing I can't do when I'm working at the office. Because I have to leave a half an hour or an hour before they go to the bus. So they enjoy me taking them to the bus stop. But that means that by the time I'm back to the house, it's literally 8 a.m., which is when my shift is supposed to start. And to pick them up at the bus stop means I have to take time away from my desk to go to the bus stop, and I'm away from my desk for half an hour or 45 minutes by the time the bus gets there and the kids get home. So these are all trade-offs, you know, things that have to be considered. Um, Generally, I feel more productive when I'm remote, and I make up for that by, um, you know, taking maybe a slightly longer break to get the kids from the bus stop because, you know, I've been working pretty furiously all day otherwise. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I definitely do feel more productive, but I also find that I had to be very careful to ensure that I'm still taking care of myself. I'm taking breaks, you know, I'm drinking water. It's like um, there are certain routines that come from being in a physical office that I find if I don't recreate them in some way, they slip. Yeah. And that can be it too. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, from time to time, I've had the tempt the temptation to crack open a beer or something while I'm working remote too, which I have resisted. <laughs> it just feels wrong. It's really no different than going to quarters over lunch in the office, which, come think of it, it's a pretty harmful habit that we should probably break. But it could be. Um, that's not a thing that happens that frequently anyway. But no, uh, no it's not. But yeah, that is one of those things that seems to be a very accepted cultural thing where we work um, that in some other places would be like grounds for termination. <laughs> so well, I suppose you bring up a good point there with remote work. You know, we've been talking about our experiences, um, unfortunately or fortunately, but you know, just for the purposes of the discussion, we both work for the same place. Yeah. Uh, and we've both really inculcated that culture so you know if you're going to be doing remote working and hopefully your employer you know you have a sense of what your employer expects but you know it's I mean, at least when we both started remote working you know we had a talk with our respective managers where kind of outlined what the yeah. expectations were and that it was going to be reviewed from time yep. to time you, know, yep. you have hopefully have that kind of discussion with your employer because it's a, it's really great to work remote, but it's a privilege. It is a privilege and you still have to get your work done, which is really what it comes down to. Um, I'm, I'm lucky in that I was able to simply, you know, I I've over the past year, year and a half, I've been productive enough working remotely that when I went to my boss and said, look, the Jeep's broken, um, I'm going to have to just play it by ear and work remote when my wife needs the car. There was no hesitation. It was, yeah, sure, whatever you need. Mm -hmm. You know, don't let it interfere with your work, and we're good. Because I've stuck to it, and I haven't I haven't abused it. You know, so, so that's, I, that's a thing to remember. You know, related example. Um, as you know, and I think as our listeners know, I've got a thing about trains, and I travel by train to conferences. And... Sometimes that's that takes some time. Um, you know, it might be a multi-day trip. Uh, the last time I did that, I asked and was granted permission to treat those as remote work days because I'm going to be working from the train. Right. I'm like, sure, yeah, you're you're productive on the train. You're more productive on the train than when you are in the office because <laughs> you're just that happy to be there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I think we have talked well enough about work from home. By the way, that whole thing about breaking up the internet connection, I'll probably cut out of the show. But you YouTube folks, you get to see it live. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, I think we're going to call that close. you have any other final thoughts on work from home, Charles? If you can get them through? I assume you're asking for my final thoughts on... <laughs> Your internet connect breaking up. You should definitely use remote home day. come out If I could understand that properly, Charles right. said uh, that I, I should use my work from home day to have the cable company come out and fix my internet connection. Right? Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to call it a night. Um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. If you tuned in on YouTube, I see Charles laughing at me, even though I can't hear him. Um, if you want to join our Slack workspace, please join Iron Sysadmin or join through ironsysadmin.com forward slash Slack. If you want to hit our YouTube page, uh, www.ironsysadmin.com slash YouTube will get you there. We also have our very own vanity URL on YouTube now, which is, I believe, Iron Sys no, sorry, youtube.com slash Podcast. I got to really add that to the show notes now instead of the uh, the old ironsysadmin.com slash YouTube because it's awesome. We should use it now. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, you can find us as Iron Sysadmin, and you can find me on Twitter as Gangriff. Charles, did you hear any of that? Can you share your Twitter handle? Uh, yes, you may find me at 
M-A-C-K-E-N-S-E-N we got on a- Twitter and many other places. We got all the letters when you said that. It must be better. The, oh, internet, is, the internet is fixed. And one closing thought. If you'd like to help uh, improve the show, please hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash ironsysadmin, and you can help support us monetarily as well as simply through your awesome feedback and whatnot that we get from time to time, which we'd love to get more of. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we're not doing well, and we'd be happy to hear it. All right, so I think that's the show for tonight. Thank you guys for watching and listening, and we will catch you in two weeks when we should have some more DerbyCon veterans for another interview. So tune in to find out who and what we chat about. All right, have a good two weeks.